Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Audio Podcast. Down the podcast, we have audio from our service on Sunday, October 17th in downtown Covington. This particular podcast features a message by guest speaker Jim Holland, who's talking on the topic of painting a better picture. Sort of bypassing arguing with people to communicate faith and seeing how art plays into that which was good because this happened to be a weekend where we had just converted our church into an art gallery for Covington's annual celebration called Fall for Art so Jim spoke on the morning after that after we had made our church into an art gallery so a timely message I think you'll enjoy it I got a lot out of it myself so let's go to the talk Thanks for listening. Yeah, you know, last time uh, I came over here, Crispin, you know, had heart issues. And so when I was driving over here, I was like, oh, man, what's going to happen this time? I don't know. I I think it was very cool that uh, as a church, you guys participated in the art thing. How many, who was here for that? Who participated? Awesome. See, yeah, I, I figure there's probably more artsy people in this service because, you know, the first service people, you know, artists sleep late. So there's probably more artists in here. Um, I thought that was very cool because, dang, man. No, thanks. appreciate that. Um, I, I'm kind of artsy myself. I, I like to do some art. My preferred art medium is photography. I'm a, I love photographs, and I love taking photographs. And there's something about um, a, a photograph that reaches into me. I can connect. I can see things through photography that I, I can't hear when somebody, you know, teaches, or if somebody tries to explain, it just doesn't go in. How many people? Art really speaks to you. I mean, you can see God. You can see like your life's changed through arts. So now, what is your art medium? What really reaches in and just brr, just grabs your heart and affects you? What what are they? Music. What else? D- who said dance? Dance. Yeah, my wife's a dancer. Writing. You sunsets. I don't know. See, that's the artist answer. Painting. What else? Anything else? Drawing. Uh, photography. Sculpting. I have a friend who um, he does these mosaics, and he has like eight billion little pieces of tile, all these different colors. And he takes these things and he creates this huge mural-like picture, and it it takes forever. And it's I mean, it's all these little pieces, and they're perfectly in place. And I look at it and I go, oh, okay. It just doesn't reach inside of me, but there are certain art forms that really connect with us. We'll see a painting, and maybe if painting's your thing, you see it and you go, wow, I get it. You know, maybe it's dance, and you go, oh. And, and, and certain ones really seem to affect us more than others. And, you know, I, I don't know if, if you're like me, but I feel that art, it's really designed to connect to the heart. More than just um, words, more than just a lecture— there's something about art that, I don't know, we have to experience. And when I, when I um, was in college, I, did, uh, I took a lot of art classes. I took sculpting and, and uh, drawing and pottery and all these different things. And I could have gotten a minor in art, except I didn't take one class. The one class, art appreciation. Yeah. You know why? I, because I didn't want somebody to explain to me what art meant. 
I mean, I don't want somebody to go, oh, yes, well, it, it represents. No, 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 no. I want to experience the art. I don't want to hear rationally and reasonably what it means. The, the art should connect with the heart, maybe not as much in the brain. It should illuminate our world, and I think maybe that should be it. I don't think it needs to be overly explained. The, the philosopher Aristotle said this. He said, the aim of art is to represent not the outward appearance of things, but their inward significance. Art, I think art is flavor. You like flavor? I like flavor. I mean, you can't live around New Orleans and not like flavor. I like things that add flavor, and I think art does that. And Art is not law. See, lawyers prove things. They go to court, they make an argument, they prove things. Artists, artists, they explore. They're like, what, what about this? Ooh, yeah. Or you look at it and you go, no, I don't think so. Some really bad art out there. But there's also some amazing, there's also some amazing art. Now, I don't know about you, but my Christian journey it, there was a period of it where I became what I call a truth peddler. The Bible says that Jesus claimed to be the truth, the truth. So early on, I became all about truth peddling. I wanted to drop a truth bomb on somebody, you know? Here, boom, truth. And I expect them to respond to my truth, the truth that I had, and I, I was trying to convince people of something. I don't know if this has been your Christian experience or not. Anybody? How many, how many people have done that? How many people are doing that still? Well, I find out that what I ended up doing was I wanted to get into arguments with people, religious arguments, and I thought if I could win a Christian or religious argument, then somehow I was like super Christian, you know? I thought if I can just explain to somebody, convince them of something, overpower them with the brilliance that is maintained in my skull, that somehow they would have a miraculous experience and come to meet God. Yeah, that didn't really happen. It very rarely happened. In fact, if I won a Christian argument, the loser really wanted nothing to do with whatever I was selling. But I felt good about myself. It's funny how that worked. I think I was missing something because I was giving them something that had no flavor. I was painting for them a very bad picture of what it meant to follow God. The weird thing was I wanted them to experience the love of God in my heart. I really wanted them to connect with God. And so rather than helping them to connect with God, I just dropped a truth bomb on them. Boom! And blew them to pieces and then left them for somebody else to come in and clean up. Not a good way to paint a picture of God. I didn't understand why people didn't get my particular view. It was truth, right? And it contained a lot of scripture. So obviously the problem was theirs. The book, The Tangible Kingdom, which uh, if you haven't read, you need to read, I think. I don't know if Crispin's recommending that or not. It's, it's a fantastic book, but this is what it says. It says, we assume that if we can just get the idea across, then it will be up to the person to respond, whether we do it correctly or not. Maybe we also think that in order to get God's approving glance, it's our duty to share the truth, truth, even if our normal mode of operation is 
obnoxious for Jesus. Have you ever experienced obnoxious for Jesus? I don't find anywhere where Jesus was obnoxious for Jesus. But we've made that kind of our, our tool, the Christian method of connecting with people. I, I worked at a church years ago, and the pastor there was a great guy, but he uh, was really into this thing called evangelism explosion. I don't know if you've ever heard this or not, but uh, essentially what they would do is they would go out to people, and a lot of times just cold call, knock on the door, and, and people come to the door and they go, Hi, if you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? And the people were like, slam. And he did this over and over, and he actually set up this network. People would send him the names of friends or relatives who they thought were open to God. And so then he would go and knock on their door and bombard them with these questions. And almost nobody responded to it. And I remember one time, somebody lovingly gave him the name of their friend. Thanks. And so he calls the guy up, and, and, and the guy says, well, yeah, okay, I guess I'll come, okay. So he goes over there and, and starts knocking on the door. Guy's not there. He doesn't answer. Tries it again the next day. Tries it again. He tries it multiple times. So one night he goes over, knocks on the door. The guy knows it's him, and, and he just didn't answer. And so my friend, Pastor Steve, drove around the block, parked his car, and called him on the cell phone, called his home phone number, and said, Hey, uh, I came by your house. You weren't there, you know, but I just wanted to see you. And the guy's, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, and he goes, well, can we talk sometime? And he goes, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And he goes, good, because I'm like, you know, half a block away. I'm coming over right now. The guy's like, oh, crap. <laughs> so he goes in and he does the, these two questions that they ask him, you know, is like, if you die today. And then they ask him the second question, which is, if you were standing before God, would, would God judge you? And, and the guy's like, the guy just responds with, you know, this is the reason people hate Christians. You don't care about me. You just want to, like, you know, win some prize. Slam the door. Slam the door. Talk about painting a bad picture. And he never understood, Pastor Steve, he never understood that people didn't respond to that. In fact, he went away, and he, like, I hate to say it, but he actually judged the guy, and he told me, he goes, well, he's obviously, and he used this phrase, steeped in sin so much that he could never be open to what God is doing. And I thought, well, maybe your message just sucks really bad. I don't know. In Ephesians, uh, the writer of Ephesians says this. He says, we are God's masterpiece. We are his artistry. We are his handiwork. Have you ever thought of yourself as God's art? Wives, have you ever thought of your husband as God's art? Especially in the morning and, you know, no. But we are. We are God's art. We are his expression to the world of what he is like. And if we are art, then how we convey who God is to people ought to be sometimes a little artsy. Rather than just truth, rather than an argument, rather than a debate, what if our means of conveying God to people was a little more creative, was a little more, I don't know, poetic, less legal in, in terms of an argument, more poetic, Truth convicts people, but art inspires people 
at a whole other level. My, my journey as a truth peddler actually didn't last long because I realized that people who are struggling in this world and with their life were not looking for absolute absolutisms. They were not looking for rules. They were not looking for somebody to just drop on them a lot of legal religious terminology. What they were really looking for was life. They wanted to see that these words that they hear actually transformed somebody and that those people lived differently. They were looking to experience something, not just cognitively in their head. They were looking to experience something in their heart. They wanted to experience hope and peace and joy and depth, and they really did not want to be convinced of it. They wanted to see it. Art. They wanted to see God's artistry lived out in his creation. And that puts a burden on us to paint better pictures. I have not been a good picture painter for God for a lot of my life because I felt the need to convince people of truth. And are you really, really seeking a lot of truth? Is that what you are looking for? Are you looking for some life? Are you looking for... God's hand at work in someone. Well, well, see, inside the church, we talk a a certain way. Paul, in writing the New Testament, uh, a lot of the New Testament, he talked to people in church. And so a lot of the terminology he used was for, it was internal language. It was for us. But when we're outside the church, I think we're supposed to be artists. I mean, really, if you go to a bar, and if you're, like, offended by bars, then you need to reread, you know, the gospel, because that's who Jesus hung out with. If you're hanging out in a bar, you're going to talk differently than you would in a small group or in a Bible study or in an accountability group of some kind. You're going to speak differently inside in the internal church. Yeah, we're going to talk about truth. Outside, I think we're supposed to be artists. I think we're supposed to paint a much better picture than what we have And I got to tell you, I've always been fascinated by how Jesus communicated to people. If you read through the Gospels, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, look at how Jesus communicated. He always had the right message at the right time for the right people. He never gave the wrong message to the wrong people. For instance, the way he spoke to the Pharisees, oh man, he was harsh with them. But he didn't speak that way to the woman who had been bleeding for years. He had different messages. To one group, man, he was harsh. He did drop truth on them because they proclaimed to be the owners of truth. To people who were hurting, he painted a picture of the mercy and love of God. Jesus is a master of this when he was walking the earth. He painted all kinds of pictures. He challenged believers, but people who were hurting, he expressed the very, very heart of God. John Updike, the author, says, What art offers is space. Space for what? Listen to what he says. He offers space, an artist offers space, a certain breathing room for the spirit. See, when we can convey the truth of God to people artistically, and I don't mean just in painting. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about creatively. It creates space for people to explore and for God's spirit to be able to weave in and out through their lives. But when we are legal about it, 
It's A or B. It's black or white. It's yes or no. And there's no room for the Spirit. It's just right or wrong. And people really do not respond well to that. But Jesus was a master of this. Listen to what he did. In Matthew 13, he's having a conversation, and he does this. He's like, hmm, God is like. Let's see. What is God like? Hmm, I got it. All right. The kingdom of heaven um, is like a treasure, okay? It's like a treasure that's hidden in a field. You see what he did there? He painted a picture of God. He didn't make it a legal term. He painted a very cool picture. I can see over and over again, people are like coming to Jesus going, well, what's God like? And Jesus is like, uh, okay, um, how about this? All right, in Matthew 22, he says, the kingdom of God, it's like a, it's like a king who prepared a wedding banquet. You get it? You get it? And people are like, oh, I get it. Later on in Luke, he says this. He's like, he's talking. He goes, hmm, how do I explain this? Uh, suppose that one of you has a friend, all right? And at midnight, his friend comes over, and he says, uh, lend me three loaves of bread. You see what he's doing? He's painting a picture of the character of God, the heart of God. I mean, over and over, you can see Jesus go, hmm, let me see. The kingdom of God is like. Have you ever expressed God to somebody that way? I mean, I've had somebody do that, and I've tried to incorporate it in my life, but the first time anyone ever did that and didn't just drop a, a truth bomb on me, this is what they did. I was talking to this guy. I was about 19. I was having a hard time walking out my faith, and I'm sitting there having lunch with this guy, and he goes, hmm, let's see. God is like a 10-speed bicycle. What? He said that. He's like, God is like a 10-speed bicycle. I don't think that's in the Bible. Because, you know, we're looking for Bible answers, right? He's like, no, 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 God. And I'm like, okay, please, how? I'm not sure I want to ask this. How is God like a 10-speed bicycle? He goes, well, you see, when you're going uphill and things get difficult, you can change gears. What? He's like, oh, you can change gears. I'm like, what does that even mean? He goes, God will give you another way. What? Yeah, it's like a 10-speed bicycle. God, he'll always give you another way. It may not, he may not take the journey away. He may not make it completely easy, but he'll give you another way. What? I had a hard time absorbing it because, you know, I grew up in a Christian, like, arena, and I expected somebody just to give me, like, absolute truth. And he painted this picture, and I'm like, oh, and I remember it to this day. Have you ever had somebody explain God to you in very real, practical, everyday terms that fit within the life that you live? See, in the Bible, there's lots of uh, places where this happens. One of my favorites is in Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, um, King David, who was a shepherd as a boy, he takes God and puts him into a context that people could understand very easily at that time. Now, I don't know about you, but where I grew up, the 23rd Psalm was very holy. The first church I ever really worked in, it was part of their Sunday service that everybody would stand up and the whole congregation would recite this thing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I'm thinking King David, the poet king, the shepherd king is probably going, 
What are you doing? He's like, I'm painting a picture, and you've turned it into a religious act. But that's what we do with things. Now, now here's the, the oh, that kind of hurt. <laughs> so here's what King David was doing. All right, we don't have shepherds in our culture, I don't think. Anybody a shepherd in here? So we don't have shepherds. So when we go, the Lord is my shepherd, we're like, shepherd, shepherd, shepherd. I got uh, a zookeeper. I got a dog kennel. I got a shepherd. I got nothing. So what do we do? We go and we find a book and we study about shepherds. And we go on inter- the internet and Google shepherd and j- pictures of German shepherds pop up. And that's not it. And we, we try to like reason out what a shepherd actually is, but we lose a lot of the context. Now, you got to understand, when King David at the time in that culture said, the Lord is my shepherd, you better believe that everybody knew a shepherd, their next door neighbor Bob was a shepherd, or their cousin Elvis was a shepherd, somebody was a shepherd that they knew, yeah, Elvis lived back then, there were shepherds, and so when he wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, everybody went, oh, wow, oh yeah, I get that. Yeah. See, we don't do that. There was shepherd. What the crap's a shepherd? Sorry, I've said crap. But when he said it, everybody understood exactly what he meant. And they didn't have to read a book. They didn't have to Google it. They understood. Shepherd was relevant to their lives. He used what was normal in their culture to explain the character of God. And they instantly got it. And so when he said, the Lord is my shepherd, and the people went, oh, and they said, I shall not want, I shall not be in want, I shall want for nothing. They understood a shepherd is responsible for their safety. A shepherd is responsible for their health. A shepherd is responsible for what they eat and where they go. A shepherd is responsible for their lives. And so they instantly knew, as soon as he said, the Lord is my shepherd, they knew, God's responsible for me. I get it. I get it. We don't get that. Today, in our uh, hyper-mental culture, people have taken this little chapter and they have overanalyzed it to the point they miss a lot of what was really going on. They're like, oh, yes, well, this is talking about, and they make up these glorious ideas that I don't think King David actually meant. Listen to this. He says this. My head still hurts. He says this. He says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, we today, we'll take this and we over-spiritualize it because, oh, what he means is that we feed on good spiritual whatever or that he gives us a place to rest and it is, no, no, no. Let me, let me explain this to you. Sheep, all right? Sheep do not like sleeping on dirt. It freaks them out. They won't sleep. Sheep do not like sleeping on rocks. And so a shepherd knows to take a sheep into the middle of a green pasture because sheep will eat and then they will sleep. And then they will get up and they'll eat some more and they'll sleep. And they'll keep them in one place. This is what a shepherd does. And the other thing is shepherds will keep their flock out in the middle of the field. And we're like, why would you do that? Well, when a flock of sheep, I know you're all excited about sheep knowledge, right? This is important. All right. Well, that's not really important. All right. If you take a, a herd of sheep and you put them next to trees or something uh, like that, the wolves can come out of the woods in, out, and they've got a sheep. Shepherds know if you put the sheep out in the middle of the field, they have to cross a large open space. Somebody's become alerted, and they know the best place to put a herd of sheep is out in the middle where there's a lot of space that a wolf is going to have to cross. 
That's where you keep your sheep. And so when he said, uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures, it's nothing more complicated than a sheep knows the best place for you to be. A shepherd knows the best place for you to be. People at the time got that. They didn't have to have it, like, just crazy explained to him. Then he says this. He says, he leads me beside still waters. Today, there are gobs of books where people write about what they think this means. Well, water means spirit. So he's saying that God will quietly lead us through the Holy Spirit. Bah! It was almost a sheep noise, wasn't it? Bah! Sheep, genetically, or, or for some reason, do not like moving water, okay? They do not like fast, bubbly water. It freaks them out. It terrifies them. They will, and they won't drink from it. They will only drink from still water, just the way sheep are. And so when he's saying he leads me beside quiet waters, it's no more complicated than the shepherd knows what I like. Oh, but when David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, everybody, I get it. See, we have to study it and Google it. The, you know, another part of it, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, oh my goodness, Christians love to take this and turn it into something crazy. When I'm being tormented by the political establishment, oh gee, sheep are about half blind. Did you know that? Sheep do not see well. And so shepherds will uh, try to avoid herding them through ravines and valleys and any place where there are shadows because if a sheep is walking and comes upon a shadow, it terrifies them. And they won't cross it, and they will stop. And because where they stop, uh, it's a very easy target for wolves to come in and to get them. They hate crossing shadows. It's no more complicated than that. And so what he's saying is, shepherd knows what scares me. Hmm. See, when King David wrote this, everybody got it. It was his version of uh, using what's in your life to explain God. For us, it might be, uh, the, the Lord is my Walmart greeter. I don't know. The Lord is my bus driver. Um... The Lord is my fill in the blank. Yeah, teacher, whatever it is. Painting a better picture means using our context, using our life, what's normal to us and normal to culture to paint a picture of God that's easily understood and isn't overly complicated. Try it this way. If I say to you, Post-Katrina, New Orleans. What pictures, experiences pop up in your head? What's like, boom, what is, oh, I remember that. What, what, what do you remember? Flooded, what else? Destruction, what? Blue tar. oh yeah, blue tarps. What was it? Spray paint on the, on the walls, what else? Heat, people stranded. Somebody said refrigerators earlier. Stench. Stranded animals. And so if we say post-Katrina, New Orleans, you know what it's about. I mean, you, you can instantly go, oh, yeah, I totally get that. But you know what? If you say post-Katrina, New Orleans to somebody in Montana, they're going to be like, uh, what does that mean? And then they will try to over-spiritualize it, say post-Katrina, New Orleans, 
that must be the kingdom of darkness. And they try to make it into some kind of grandiose spiritual thing. What I'm saying is that there are contexts where paintings of God work best. And your context, in your context, God wants to illustrate himself through you to people in normal ways. We really get kind of sideways a lot of times with the Bible. And, and when King David, David said, the Lord is my shepherd, we have taken that to a whole new level of idi- idiocy because somebody will be going through something and we go, oh, you know what? The Bible says the Lord is my shepherd. Is that really what they need to hear? It might be. But that's not what David intended that for. He was painting a picture, and I think God wants us to become better painters so that people understand, really, the character of God. So they don't have to read a book just to get what you're trying to say to them. I think one of the greatest challenges for Christians is being able to paint a picture of God's mercy and his love and his kingdom in a way that doesn't use absolutisms, doesn't drop a truth bomb on somebody, and and doesn't use all kinds of crazy religious jargon. Most people outside of the church are not looking for that. There are some who are. But being able to communicate God in creative ways makes us better painters and helps us to vividly describe him to the world. There's, a, there's an author, uh, a journalist named Christopher Hitchens. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He is an avowed atheist, hates the church, hates Christians. And he's going through cancer now, and some people are kind of wondering, is he going to change his stance on that? His brother, who was an atheist, had an experience where he saw this painting, and it totally dug into his soul. No one had to teach him or explain it to him, but it affected him, and so he decided to become a follower of Jesus. And so Peter Hitchens, the brother, the the Christian brother, was asked, what do you think it would take to convince your atheist brother to follow Jesus, to, to actually be interested in God? And this is what he said. He said that he didn't put much stock in rational persuasion for a belief in God. He says, it is my belief that passions as strong as his are more likely to be countered by the unexpected force of poetry, which can ambush the human heart at any time. Like David, using what he saw in his own life, like Jesus, using stories to explain the heart of God. And sometimes we're afraid to do this because we think, if I explain God creatively, it might be blasphemy, and then I'll go to hell. And No, 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 no. You do have to be careful. You don't want to be speaking things that are crazy. But God will speak through us if we just make space for him. And I think that's what we're supposed to do. Create space where there's room for the spirit to do what he wants to do. Um, there's, a, uh, there's an essayist, a writer, who was born like in 1855. Her name is Agnes Rapillier. And she says this. She says, Art does not take kindly to facts, is helpless to grapple with theories, and is killed outright by a sermon. Wow. What am I doing up here then? Sermonizing doesn't help anybody. But in order for our art to affect people, we have to kill the compulsion to be right, and we have to kill the compulsion to have all the answers, especially when no one has even asked us questions yet. 
But we have to be ready to paint a picture for somebody whenever they ask. We must make space in our own lives to see what kind of art God wants to create. I was having lunch um, not too long ago with a young guy who felt like God was calling him to be a pastor. And he's trying to figure out what a pastor is. I mean, you think of a pastor, you think of teacher, you think of, I mean, all these things come to mind. He felt like God was pulling him in that direction, but he didn't know what it meant. So we're having lunch, and, uh, or we're about to have lunch. We're sitting in this restaurant, and he's asking me, you know, what, what does a pastor do? And everything in me wanted to go through the checklist. Well, a pastor does this and this and this and this. Or I wanted to explain the spiritual gift of pastor. Or, God forbid, I wanted to say, well, a pastor's a shepherd. Oh, gee. Uh, there we go with a shepherd again. But I sat there for a minute, and I just waited. And it had been about 30 minutes. We hadn't even ordered yet. And the waitress just kept coming by, and I said, you know, pastor's like a waitress. What? I'm like, yeah, pastor's like a waitress. And he's like, where is that in the Bible? And I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. It's like a pastor's like a waitress. See, see, the waitress wants to feed us. But the waitress knows to wait until we're ready. The waitress checks on us constantly, sees if we need anything. And when we're ready, she takes care of us. She looks across the room to check in on us. And if we need something, she brings it before we even ask. Pastor's like a waitress. Oh, I can do that. He got all excited. And I didn't list off a lot of truth to him. I painted him a picture. I don't think that was because I'm smart or wise. I think I just made space for God to paint a picture for him. And so what do you notice in your everyday world that can convey to people the heart of God? What do you see in your world every day that represents God's character, that you can use as art. What do you see? Are you looking for things? I was on the way over here this morning, and I'm about a mile on the causeway uh, from the South Shore, and all of a sudden the little light on my dashboard that says, your tire is low, pops up. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. I do not want to have a flat tire on the causeway, and I don't have to, and I'm thinking i got to call Crispin, and, and I'm getting all tense, and I'm getting all nervous. And then all of a sudden I start seeing the signs. If you need help, dial star 27. There's a turnaround up here if you need help. And, and all of a sudden this sense of peace just kind of went. Whew. I was like, oh. God's like when you're stranded on the causeway and you need help. Oh. There he is. So you can see God in all kinds of things. If we take the time to look. I was in the post office last week, and I was in line uh, from the time I walked in the door to the time I walked out, 53 minutes. At one point, there were 27 people in line, and I'm sitting there. All I had to do was this one little thing that I had to mail, uh, and I had to go to the counter for it. And I'm like, oh, and I'm starting to get all bitter. And I can hear God going, I'm here. I want to show you something. I'm like, I don't want to see it. I want to be angry, and I'm like grumbling to the people next to me, and, and all of a sudden I go, okay, I'll make some space. And I let God, I let his spirit come in, and, and all of a sudden my attitude changed, and I started talking to some people, and without preaching, I just painted a different picture of what it meant to stand in line. And I felt like God was doing that. Not necessarily for them, but I think for me. And so here's what I just want to challenge you as we finish up here. Where do you see God? Where do you see God? 
Do you see God in the everyday, ordinary things? Do you see his character played out in other people? Can you see God's personality in other people and say, ooh, that's a picture of God? And so make room for God's spirit to speak through you. Give up the need to be right. And really dig into your artistry, how you word the truth of God's kingdom to other people. Look for God in the ordinary things because he's there. You know, and the last thing I just want to tell you, I think the, one of the coolest things I ever learned was ask a lot of questions. If someone's searching, ask them a lot of questions because they're really not interested in what you have to say, but they love the fact that you're interested in them. And the, the best teachers really do ask the best questions. So dig into people's lives. And so as you go out today, what kind of art do you display for people? Because there's a lot of really great artists in here. Not just physical art, like on the wall. But a lot of you have great stories that people are dying to hear. And they, they don't look for truth. They're looking for life. And uh, I think God wants to paint some amazing pictures through you. So uh, let me pray for us, and let, we'll go out and be artists. Father, we repent of being truth peddlers. Uh, and God, we ask forgiveness for needing to argue and win. And God, as we love people, um, and as we take time and space to breathe, then your art comes out. And so God, break, uh, break us of our religiousness and our, our need to be right and have truth. And show us what it means to creatively express who you are in our own context, in our everyday world, to see you in the little things, in the ordinary things, so that we can share that with other people. God, thank you for this family of, of believers here, this church. God, bless them, strengthen them. Let them be a beautiful piece of art to this community, God. Father, we love you. Amen. Well, thank you for having me. I think y'all are free to go be artists. Yay! I appreciate that.